0: Amen, amen. Good morning. You can have a seat. It is good to be with you this morning. Haynes Creek, hope you are all doing well. Uh, as you said, my name is Travis. Uh, I'm the pastor here. It is uh, our pleasure to be here worshiping with you today. So for those that may be here for the first time, I just want to say a special welcome to you. Uh, we're thrilled and excited that you are here checking things out with us as a guest. And we would love a chance to follow up and just reach out, let you know how much we do appreciate this. Uh, so if you don't mind stepping out uh, before you head home, stop by our welcome tables right out there in the hallway. As you go back out there, we have a free gift we'd love to put in your hands. We also have uh, these little welcome cards. You wouldn't mind filling those out those come back to me and just gives me a chance to reach out and say thanks for your visit. Um, So if you do that before you leave, I would really appreciate that. Uh, And then church, before we dig into what we have today, I just wanna share a couple of announcements um, that have some deadlines on them that are coming up. So first, we've been announcing this for a while, but our Women's Bible Study is starting up soon. That'll meet on Wednesday nights, uh, not this Wednesday, but starting next Wednesday, the 28th. Uh, It'll meet for 10 weeks walking through the New Testament books of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Uh, Thank you to those who have signed up. If you haven't yet signed up and you are interested in coming, I need to know today. We got to order the workbooks. You have enough time to come in and get those to you for next week. So please let me know today. You can go ahead and sign up right now, haynescreek.com slash abide, or, or you can just tell me after service, I'll write your name down, get your information, and we'll be good to go. But please let me know today if you're interested in that. And then also we have our next Haynes Discover Haynes Creek class coming up next Sunday. So again, if you are interested in coming to that, I need to know today. So that is our, our new members kind of initiation process there. It also just gives you an opportunity to learn more about who we are as a church. If you're not yet interested in membership or you're interested in just learning more, it's a perfect class for you. So again, if you have not yet signed up, I need to know today, please let me know. Uh, Again, you can sign up online right now, haynescreek.com slash discover, or you can just let me know after service and uh, we'll get you on the list. Lunch and childcare will be provided for all those that do attend, um, which is why we need to know today so we can make sure we have all of that covered for the amount of people we need. So again, if you can let me know about those things, I would appreciate it. And church, today we are going to go right back into Philippians chapter three. So we left last week in verse 16. So we're going to pick back up again in Philippians chapter three, starting in verse 17, and we're going to go through chapter four, verse one. today we're going to finish out this section in philippians before we get to uh, the final chapter we're, we're almost through this book we'll, we'll be ending soon uh, there's some really good stuff still in chapter four but it's really paul winding down giving his conclusion like he does in all of his letters he just kind of throws out some wisdom one-liners gives some shout outs some personal updates things like that but there's still some really good stuff for us in chapter 4, but today we're going to finish out this section that we've been in here for a few weeks. So if you have your Bibles, great. Philippians chapter 3. If you don't have your Bible, that's all right. We'll have the verses right here on the screen behind me. We also have Bibles at our table. If you don't own a Bible, please grab one of those. Uh, even right now, you can head out, go grab one of those, and come right back in or, or on your way out, whatever you prefer, but but please take one if you don't own a Bible. All right, let me, let me pray for us, and we'll, we'll jump in. Jesus, we thank you for today. We thank you for this opportunity to gather together as your people, Lord, in in worship and in praise to you, Jesus. We're here because of you. All we have is because of you, and we thank you for this chance to, to just stop each week and just reflect on and remember and worship and celebrate you and encourage one another in your name, Jesus. So thank you for this gift that is the church. I thank you for this time and those that are here, Lord, would you, uh, Lord, would you use this time right now as we open up your word to uh, mold and shape our hearts and our lives to be more like you, Jesus. Would you teach us, Lord, would you hide me behind your cross, Lord? Let this moment be all about you and for you and, and lifting high you in your name and your gospel, Jesus. We love you, we thank you, and we pray all this in your name. Amen. All right, so before we get started, uh, this past week or a few days ago, we uh, my kids have been out of school since uh, since Thursday, and they have Monday off, you know, President's Day weekend or whatever. I don't know why they get off the school this time of year, but they do. So they were out of school, so we decided, hey, let's get out of town for a couple of days. So we rented a cabin up in L.O.J. with some of our friends uh, that used to live right next door to us, and we both moved away around the same time, so we don't get to hang out as much. This is a perfect time for us just to hang out. They've got three kids, too, all around similar ages as ours, so it was just a lot of fun. It was a good time, it was just a couple of days just to kind of get away and just hang out, but one of the things that we did, you know, we're, hey, we're, we're in the mountains, we're, we're in L.A.J., let's go on a hike, so we took all the all the kids one day, and just like, you know, a short little hike, we found a trail nearby our cabin, and uh, we just kind of took all of them, and the little ones were like complaining right away, and like, let's go back home, so we, we went back home, and the big kids were all kind of disappointed, so like, hey, you know, when they go down for nap time, we'll, we'll take you guys on a longer hike, me and the other dad. So we did that, and we, we found this trail, and we kind of went through. I mean, it was like it was like a mile and a half through the woods and, and up and down some hills, and they were loving it, and they were having a good time. And at the end, we could kind of see the entrance of where all these cabins were, and there was this really cool creek that went by and this bridge, and we were like, hey, let's go there. But it was like, a, it was another half mile, like down uh, this, this hill to get down to that point. So like we're talking like a total mile and a half, two miles, something like that with these kids. And, and I know in my, like, I'm just thinking in my mind, okay, we're going to have to eventually turn back and go back the other way. But they're not thinking like that, right? So they're not thinking about that at all. They're just having a grand old time. And then we're, we're down at the creek, we're playing and we're having fun. And we're like, hey, we got we to gotta head back. And they're like, oh, can we go back through the woods? Can we go back through the woods? Because there's two options, right? We could stay on like kind of the neighborhood street, which was straight uphill for quite a ways. But it, that was it. That was the one hill you had to walk up. Then it was kind of downhill a little bit more to our cabin, and it's much quicker than going back through snaking through the woods. But all the kids are like, we want to go through the woods, we want to go through the woods. And again, here I'm thinking, they're going to take five steps into the woods and be like, I'm tired, I'm ready to get back, why is this taking so long? So I'm the whole time trying to like, hey, you know, how about we, how about we just stay on the main road? They're like, no, no, we want to go in the woods, we want to go. I was like, okay, all right, your choice. Whatever y'all want to do, that's fine. But I know this is a bad decision. So we're, we're making our way back up the hill to the trailhead and they're already dragging. They're already starting to slow down, get a little tired. I'm like, okay, we're, we can't do this. So we get to the trailhead and I'm like, all right guys, we have a choice. We can go back through the woods or we can stay on the main road. It's a little bit more uphill, but that's it. We just got to climb a little bit more and then it's, it flattens out, goes downhill and we're like, we're right there by our cabin. So it'd be a lot quicker if we go that way. And they were kind of deciding and waffling, nobody wanted to make calls. I was like, no, 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 here's what we're doing. We're staying on the main road. And sure enough, 10 steps into going back, they're like, oh, I'm tired. Can you carry me? I'm like, no, you're eight years old. I'm not gonna carry you. What are we doing here? Can you give me a pigment? No, we're not, we're not doing that. And they're like dragging on, like trying to drag themselves up the hill. I'm like, okay, this was the right call, right? They were immediately tired and worn down, but we finally made it back, and I was just thankful that we chose that way, right? And, and we had this choice, and it was simple, and that's a silly kind of illustration to give us this prompt for today. But in chapter three here, as Paul closes out the bulk, the meat of this letter, again, before he gets to his closing remarks, he presents a choice to us. He presents a choice to his audience and to us today. And it's a choice based on everything that he's been talking about in chapter three, but really going all the way back to chapter one, verse 27, where he started to really give his encouragement and commands and exhortation to his audience and to us today. So it's a choice based on all of that. And what Paul wants us to do here as he concludes, again, the bulk of the letter, is he wants us to look at our lives and ask ourselves, are we truly and fully living for Jesus? Are we truly and fully living for Jesus, or are we living even partway for something and someone else? See, Paul, throughout this, has been reminding us through his example and through his life that he has and is giving everything to Jesus, everything about himself and his life and all of his choices is all made in this, this idea of, of giving everything and living for Jesus fully. And he's telling us, he's been telling us for weeks now, he's been looking at this, that that's what the Christian life is supposed to look like. Those of us who have put our faith in Jesus, our lives are to look like Paul's. We are to give everything to live for and follow and know Jesus. So here at the end of his letter, getting towards the end of his letter, he's, he's calling his audience and by extension us today to live this life, to follow his lead. So let, let's dig into Philippians chapter 3 here, starting in verse 17. It says this, join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. For I have often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame, and they are focused on earthly things. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. So then, my dearly loved and longed-for brothers and sisters, my joy and crown, in this manner stand firm in the Lord, dear friends." Okay, so again, as Paul concludes this section, the main section of his letter, he presents us with a choice on how we're going to live our lives. How are we going to live? And he gives two options here. He gives two options. One, one. he gives the option as we can live committed to Jesus, committed to the cross, committed to following him with everything, or, or we can live as enemies of the cross. These are our two options. And he presents this, this choice by using the same word here in, in two of these verses. So look again at verse 17 and 18. There's a word that repeats. He says, join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. And in verse 18, he says, for I have often told you, and I'll say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross. Now, your translation may say live like mine or it may say walk in or walk with or, or things like that. It's, a, it's the same word though. It's the same word being used there. And it's a word that points to how we live our lives. It's a word that points to a lifestyle, a series of decisions and actions that demonstrate how we are living our lives and what we are committed to. And so Paul says, man, you got two, two, two options. You can, you can imitate me. You can follow the example that I and others have set or you can go opposed to that and live and walk as an enemy of the cross. And that's what Paul means when he says to imitate him and to pay careful attention to those who set that example. Those are two commands that he's giving here. He's, he's calling and imploring his audience like, this is the way, right? This is the way we want you to go. Don't, don't go that other way. That, yes, that's an option, but don't do that. Follow me. Imitate me. Walk in this way. Live in this way. That's what Paul wants us to do. He wants us to live fully and completely for Jesus. And again, that's what he's been saying throughout this entire letter. Live for Jesus. Commit yourself to him. Go that way. Stay away from this other lifestyle. I think it's interesting that that here again, Paul says that, that living opposed to Christ is living as an enemy of the cross. This is yet another example of Paul relating our life in Christ, living with him with the cross, right? We've been talking about this for a little while here. I mean, he even sets this as the example that Jesus gives us. We go Remember all the way back in chapter 2, verse 8, he says of Jesus, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So even the way that Jesus lived this life, is characterized by humble submission and obedience to God to the point of death, to the point of the cross. And remember, we're we're called in that section to model our lives after Jesus, to be like Jesus. That's what our lives are to look like. And again, we saw in chapter 3, verse 10, that Paul says when we follow Jesus, when we seek to know him, part of the goals, one of the things we're working towards is to be conformed to his death. Again, Paul is, is saying that the Christian life is characterized by the cross. And he echoes the words of Jesus that we've read over and over again in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, when Jesus says, if you want to follow me, we deny ourselves, we pick up our cross, and we follow him. Following Jesus is a life of death, of saying no to ourselves, saying no to the things that we want and we hope for and we wish for and our desires and ambitions, saying no to all of that and yes to Jesus. It is a lifestyle that's characterized and defined by our willingness to go to the cross, to die for the sake and the name of Jesus so that we can live for him. That's the Christian life. So when we live opposed to Jesus and and opposed to the way of Christ. That's why Paul says, I mean, you're, you're opposed to the cross. You're an enemy of the cross, of the way of Jesus. So again, this is the choice that Paul is presenting with us. It's either Jesus or an enemy of Jesus, right? It's either we live committed to Jesus, walking with him, following him, or we walk against him. We live against him. We're committed to Jesus or we're committed to this world, to our sin, to ourselves. So, Paul gives us a choice because he knows we can't do both. We can't do both. We can't have both. We can't have Jesus and everything else that this world has to offer and tries to get us to commit our lives to. We can't have both. There's a choice that has to be made. Paul knows this, and he, he even, he again, he's echoing the words of Jesus. Jesus says this in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, I know Jesus picks money there, which is interesting, and probably a whole other conversation, man, because that is uh, an idol that stands the test of time, Right? But I mean that, that could be substituted with, with any other idol that we have in our lives. Anything that we choose to love and devote ourselves and live for more or at least the same amount as Jesus, right? It could be money. It could be our own ambitions, our career goals, promotions. It could be, you know, accumulating material possessions in this world. It could be, you know, our, our kids and whatever we want to see them do or accomplish. It could be, you know, seeking approval from other people and their status or acclaim or whatever it may be. Man, you could substitute anything here. But the point remains is that we can't serve both. Now, now the problem that we face in this culture is that, man, sometimes it's like we can't have both. Or it can feel like we can have both. We can have Jesus and we can have the comforts and the security of the things of this world, right? We don't, we don't live in a country where we're under threat. Like nobody was under threat coming here to church one day. There wasn't a point where you were ever worried or concerned, man, maybe I'll be arrested and thrown in prison just because I'm driving to church or because I have a Bible in my possession. There are places in the world that are like that. And the decision, the choice between Jesus and everything else is stark. And when you choose Jesus, you are walking away from everything else from jobs, from security, from wealth, from status, from even your own family, your own safety and comfort. But here, man, we're, we're in America. We got a bunch of freedom. We can do kind of whatever we want to do within the law, right? Like there's no, there's no persecution from that standpoint. So we sometimes can have Jesus and the fully realized American dream, whatever that is, and however we define that. We can have Jesus in our comforts and our security. We can have Jesus in our money and our wealth and our retirement and our vacation home or our nice vehicle, nice house, whatever it may be. And look, let me just be clear. Those things aren't evil and wicked. You're like, oh, man, Travis, I guess I could go drive a beater. Like, no, no, I'm I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. But because of the culture that we live in, man, we can have Jesus and we can have a lot of other cultural society comforts in this life. And it can lead us to this false sense of security that, you know what, I can't have my Jesus and I can have everything else. And I can kind of live this halfway committed nominal Christian lifestyle. I can be good with Jesus, man. I can go to church. I can even go to small group. I can serve. I can even give. I can be generous in the name of Jesus. And I can have this other stuff too. But what Jesus tells us is, is ultimately, we're, we're going to have to make a choice. At some point, we're going to have to choose between two masters. We can't have both. It's, it's Jesus or not Jesus. And Paul wants us to pick Jesus. So for the rest of our time today, as we kind of walk through these contrasting lifestyles that Paul gives us, I want us to, to truly, really examine our hearts are we living fully committed to Jesus? Or is there something else? Even, even the slightest little bit over here hanging out that we're we're keeping back, we're holding on to. Are we living for Jesus? Are we committed to Him, to His ways, to the cross, or are we living ultimately as an enemy of the cross? Let's ask ourselves the hard question today, Church. Let's, let's truly examine ourselves. And look, like, I, I can't do that for you. Paul can't do that for us. We have to allow the Holy Spirit to go, all right, all right, Jesus, examine my heart. And look, y'all, that that can be a scary thing. Just to, I'm going to prep you right now. If we truly do that, if that's truly our desire, man, the Lord might reveal some stuff that's like, ooh, okay, now we're talking choice. Now we do have a choice. I didn't think I had a choice, but now I have a choice. It's either Jesus or this thing. So keep that in mind let's prayerfully consider allow the holy spirit to do what he does and really truly examine our lives today. This is what Paul has been leading us to it's to this point right here. Everything that he's been saying has been building to this how are we going to live our lives? How are we going to respond to Jesus and his word? The words of Paul in Philippians here. All right, so let's let's dig in, let's contrast these two lifestyles. So the first one first one that Paul gives us is enemies of the cross. This is the first option that we have, the first way that we can go is enemies of the cross. But before we get into Paul's description here, because I mean, it's pretty, uh, pretty colorful the way he describes what enemies of the cross are and what their lives are going to be. Uh, first, we need to ask the question, who is he talking about? Who's he talking about? Because I think that's very relevant for how we read and interpret and understand Paul's words here. So who is Paul talking about? Now, there's there's plenty of options out there presented by Bible scholars, so I'll kind of boil down the top choices, and I'll kind of let you know where I land. So the first option that's kind of thrown out there is the enemies of the cross are these non-believers, non-Christian folks in Philippi who are now starting to persecute the Christians in Philippi, whether that's, you know, threat of death or threat of arrest, or maybe it's just cultural compromise pressure to to not live according to Jesus. But but the enemies are those who are opposed to Christ, living opposed to Christ, and trying to lead other people astray. So non-believers who are opposing the Philippian Christians. Another option presented by folks is that these are the same false teachers that Paul already addressed and talked about in verse 2, where he talks about, remember, the Judaizers, these Jewish Christians who were teaching this this way of following Jesus is, yes, Jesus, but also the Jewish law, right? You got to have both. You got to have Jesus plus circumcision, and that's what equals salvation. And Paul called those guys dogs and just all sorts of names, right? We saw that in verse 2. So it could be just another way of referring to those people. It could also be just false teachers who are just teaching a different way of living for Jesus, right? Teaching kind of what we've been talking about right now, that you can have Jesus and all of your cultural comforts, right? You don't, have to, you don't have to really live a life of the cross and death and sacrifice. No, you don't need to do that. Denial, no, you don't need to do that, man. You can have Jesus and you can have everything else that you want. And I think, you know, that, that may be why there's, there's this reference to the cross, right? So that's where some people land. Or there's a fourth option, and this is what I believe. This is what I think Paul is, who he is addressing with these words. The, the fourth option is this could be believers, Christians, or professed Christians, people who claim to be Christians, who have now walked away from their faith, who have now abandoned living for Jesus and now are living a life of sin, a life of the world, of chasing after their own desires and whatever that may be. And because of that, because of that choice in how they now live, they are considered enemies of the cross. So I think that's who Paul is addressing. Now I'll tell you why. There, there's, there's a phrase that Paul uses here where he says in verse 18, For I have often told you, and now say again with tears. That, that, that translation kind of waters down what he says. It, that, that trans, it means that he's, he's weeping as he writes this. Like he is distraught. He is upset thinking about those people who are enemies of the cross and, and hoping and praying with all his might that these Philippians will not do the same thing. Now, if these were just non believers, if these were just non Christians, like Paul doesn't talk that way about that. You saw how he talks about false teachers in verse two, man. He doesn't have any tears calling out those people. He kind of has some anger towards them, but they're not tears. He's not distraught over their lifestyle choices. He's not heartbroken over that. But when Paul speaks with this level of emotion, and it, it shows us that he, he deeply cares for these people. He has great affection for those that he's talking about. So it leads me to believe and leads others to believe that these were once Christians or professed Christians, whatever you want to say about them. They were people who claimed the name of Jesus and are now walking in direct and living in direct opposition to Jesus and his ways. Now, that leads us to a popular theological discussion that we can get into here for a few minutes. Can somebody lose their salvation, right? Can somebody lose their salvation? Can somebody who put their faith in Jesus, was saved, forgiven of their sins at any point, doing something or not doing something, ever lose that salvation, now, look, I'll just be straight with you. That's an open-handed issue. There are people who love Jesus, follow Scripture, who would land differently on that. But just to let you know clearly where we stand here at Haines Creek, we teach and believe that if you truly have put your faith in Jesus, you cannot lose your salvation. You cannot lose it. And, you know, we, we have, I can get into a whole host of other Scriptures that teach that concept and that truth. That is the entirety of Scripture. But basically what it boils down to is we don't do anything to earn our salvation, So because of that, if we're saved by God's power, how can we ever do something to lose that salvation? How can we lose something that we have not earned? We are saved by God's power and his grace and his love, and we are kept by God's power and grace and love. So we cannot lose our salvation. But what do we do with these verses in Scripture where it kind of seems to think and say, well, there are people that were Christians or were living for Jesus but are now not? Like, what do we do with all these warning passages throughout the New Testament of like, don't walk away, don't abandon your faith, don't walk away from Jesus, don't live in opposition to Jesus? What, what do we do with that? Well, I think there's there's two groups, and I think this is who Paul's addressing here. There's there's one group that says that, uh, that, that that think they're Christians, right, that, that say, yes, I've put my faith in Jesus, but the way they live makes you kind of go, "Mm, not so sure about that. You say you follow Jesus, but like, I don't see any part of you following scripture of living here. So there's people that claim Jesus, but it's a, it's a false claim. They, They have a false faith in Jesus. They say they're a Christian, but they're not. And the way we can tell is by the way they live their lives. And this is what Jesus says. Jesus says this in Matthew seven fifteen through 23. He says, be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn brushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you'll recognize them by their fruit. And look, here's here's two, three verses that that are kind of scary, honestly, when we read them. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. So there's this sense, and we see this throughout Scripture, that there are people who think they're good, who think they're believers, but they're not. They may even do some great and awesome things in the name of the Lord, but they're not with Jesus. Jesus doesn't know them like that. And how can we tell? By the way they live their lives. Do they live committed to the cross or as enemies of the cross? We can tell by their fruit. So that's one group that we see in scriptures, people who think they're believers, who think they've put their faith in Jesus, but they really haven't. They really haven't. And then there's other options, and we see groups of people in Scripture where they are believers, they have put their faith in Jesus, and they either have walked away from their faith or they're in danger of walking away from their faith. They did have a genuine conversion at one point in their life, but now, at this point in their life, they are now living in opposition to Christ. I think of, it popular in our culture, think of the the student who got saved at camp in middle school or high school, truly put their faith in Jesus, and then go to college, get a little wild, you know, live a little wild, live, live, live some some crazy years there, but then eventually come back to the Lord, right? Begin starting to follow Him again, and live for Him, and repent of their ways, and 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 now are living for Jesus. So we, we see this in our lives, and in our culture, and we see this throughout Scripture. We see, that's why we have all these warnings in the New Testament about not doing that, right? Paul writes this in, Philippi, in first Timothy 4, one, He says, now the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will depart from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons. So it leads us to think, well, there are believers, people who have put their faith in Jesus, who will at some point stray away and walk away and stop following him. There's warnings all throughout the letter of Hebrews, but one of those places is Hebrews 10, 35 through 36. The author writes, so don't throw away your confidence. And that that phrase, your confidence in Hebrews, is, is just a way for the author to talk about our faith and our assurance of our salvation in Jesus. So when he says your confidence, that's what he's talking about. So don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you need endurance so that after you've done God's will, you may receive what was promised. And these are just, again, one of the many warnings that we see all throughout the New Testament. It's telling us as believers, we need to be careful how we are living our lives, what we are putting our trust in, what decisions we are making, because they have a lasting impact. And if we're not careful, if we're not diligent about walking with Jesus, choosing Jesus every day, then we could easily be led astray. We can easily start to live as an enemy of the cross. So I believe that's who Paul is talking about here. People who have professed faith, but either aren't really Christians or are Christians, yes, but they have walked away and are now living a lifestyle opposed to Jesus. So let's dig into how he actually describes these people. Now that we know who he's talking about, how does he describe them? Look again at verse 19. He says, their end is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame, and they are focused on earthly things. Now that doesn't paint a very rosy picture of these people, does it? Paul's not speaking very positively about what this lifestyle will get you. And he starts right out, man. He just starts right out of the gate swinging. He says, their end is destruction. Their end is destruction. Their ultimate end, if they continue to live lives opposed to Christ, will end in destruction. Sin brings destruction in all sorts of different ways. Now, sometimes it's a, it's a slow destruction. and we don't even know what's happening to us. Sometimes it's very stark destruction. and Man, you make that one choice we can destroy destroy our lives our marriage our future in one action in one choice sin brings destruction and people who continue in their unbelief unto the point of death will face ultimate destruction will face ultimate eternity separated from Jesus forever in hell their end is destruction. Paul, the, the word for end there Paul uses is the Greek word telos, very popular word, common word used throughout the New Testament. It's a word that means the, the ultimate end of something or the design or intended purpose of something. Paul uses a very similar word to it in verse 15 that we saw last week when he uses the word mature. So it's a little bit of a play on words here. Paul's being a little bit ironic here, but he's making the point that he's pointing out that, 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 that there's deception with sin. Sin leads us astray. See, when we, we live in our sin, when we chase after our own desires, when we live for ourselves and the things of this world, it, it deceives us. It tricks us. We think we're good, right? We think we've arrived in life. We think we're mature. And we've got everything that we could ever want and hope for, and all the things that we've longed for. I'm like, man, this is the life. And all the while, we're being destroyed from the inside out that's what Paul's pointing out here. It's like, you know, what what do you do to to cook crabs, right? You you put them in a pot of water, you cover it up, and then you turn the heat on. You don't put them right into the boiling water because they freak out. But if you put them in there with cold water that eventually, slowly over time, heats up to the point of boiling, they're subdued into thinking their environment is safe and secure and they're good, and all the while they're being killed by it. That's what sin does to us. When we live a life of sin, we're that crab in the pot slowly going towards our death and destruction. may not feel that way right now. may not look that way right now. We may think, man, we are good. Travis, what are you even talking about? Life is good. I'm fine. I got Jesus and I got all this other stuff. I'm good. But it's destroying us. And Paul's trying to wake us up to that. So he says, our end is destruction. Then he says, their God is their stomach. Now, what's he talking about here? This is not a reference to people who just like good food. Praise the Lord, because I'd be in trouble there. This isn't a reference to people who just like to eat or just like good food. He's describing how people live their lives. It's a reference to how these enemies of the cross are living their lifestyle. They're not chasing after Jesus. They're not pursuing him in holiness. What they're doing is they're living for their stomachs. They're, They're living for what satisfies their pleasures and their desires right here, right now. They're living for what makes them happy right now, right? Isn't that the language of our culture? Do whatever makes you happy, right? Whatever makes you feel good, whatever makes you happy, whatever gives you whatever sense of satisfaction you're longing for in life, go do that. I mean, as long as you're not hurting anybody, as long as you're not breaking any laws, like nobody can tell you otherwise, right? Just do whatever you want to do. Live out your own truth. Whatever makes you feel good about yourself, go and do that. That's living for our stomach. Now, the word here, it could mean actual literal stomach, but it was often used figuratively in language that that kind of referred to the seat of our inward life, our feelings and our desires. It's very similar to how scripture uses the word for heart, right? It could mean your actual heart or it could mean the things that you long for and desire and love in this life. It's, it's the same language that Paul is using here. So when we when we chase after our own stomachs, when our God, what we live for, what we submit ourselves to is our own stomachs, what we're doing is we are living for ourselves or our sin instead of living for Jesus. We're just living and chasing after our own pleasures, our own desires, whatever makes us feel good and whatever makes us happy. We're living for our stomachs, not for Jesus. Apostle John says this in John chapter 2, describes sin in a very similar way. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away. It's another way of saying is being destroyed. But the one who does the will of God remains forever. That's what it looks like to chase after our own desires, our own pleasures. That's what it means to have your God be your stomach, your own pleasure-seeking desires. That's what Paul is trying to warn us about. And then he says this, says, their glory is in their shame, which is... Again, Paul's using some unique kind of figurative, weird language here. But, but in the original language, the that phrase and the one that comes before it, so the, the God is in their stomach and the glory is in their shame, those are linked together, right? So they're linked together, and I think that helps us understand what he's saying. Now, some may argue that their glory and their shame is just a reference to strictual sexual immorality, like just sexual sins. That's That's the only thing they're talking about. But I would say that it could also be included in God is your belly, right? Like well, that's the ultimate pleasure seeking is, is sexual gratification. So it could be included there. So I don't, I don't think that's exactly what Paul is getting at here. I think he's just referencing another aspect of a life lived in opposition to Jesus. So he tells here that a life lived in opposing Jesus as an enemy of the cross, those who live for ourselves or this sin or this world will find their glory what they delight in, what we seek for satisfaction and fulfillment in life, we will find that in our shame. In our shame. If we find that here, it will be temporary, it will be wasting away, and it will only lead to our destruction. It will bring shame in our lives and a shameful end to our lives if that's the route that we choose, if that's the way that we seek to live. Our glory, what we delight in, what we satisfy in, what we find fulfillment in, is not anything positive. It's not anything good, beneficial. It's nothing that lasts. It is only shame. It's only for our shame. It doesn't bring any glory at all. So that's what Paul is saying here. It's how he's describing, again, the way of this lifestyle as an enemy of the cross. And then lastly, he says they are focused on earthly things. The word translated focused is a word that we are very familiar with. You may not know it, but you're very familiar with that word throughout our time in Philippians. It's the same word that Paul uses in verse 15 where he says he wants us to think like him. It's also the same exact word that he uses in chapter 2, verse 5. Right before he starts talking all about Jesus, he says, adopt the same attitude. That that phrase, adopt the same attitude, Paul's words in verse 15, think like him. It's the same word being used here when he says people are focused on earthly things. Those who live opposed to Christ have their minds and their hearts set not on Jesus, but on the things of this world. Their attitude is not like Christ. Their mindset is not like Jesus. They are only focused on and living for themselves, their sin, or this world focused on earthly things now look it, and this is why we need to be why it's good to walk slowly through these passages because we can quickly glance over that and see these words enemy of the cross their uh their end is destruction glory and their shame god is their stomach and and all you know they think on earthly things and we as believers those of us who have put our faith in jesus can read that and just go oh well, I'm, I'm good i'm not an enemy of the cross that's not how i live my life but when we slow down and, again, really examine ourselves, we can start to see, you know what, there are times where my mind is focused not on Jesus but on the things of this world. We can start to see, man, my, there are times where my attitude, the way I live or the way I think or the way I talk does not look so much like Jesus, but it looks a little bit more like this world around me. Or we can see and, and really examine and notice, man, there are times where I chase after, where I live for my own desires. There are times where I'm living for what makes me happy, and I'm just kind of putting Jesus over there and not really thinking about him too much. I'll come back to you in a minute, Jesus. Let me just go do this thing right here. There are times where we live that way. There are times where we give ourselves over to the things of this world, to our own desires to sin instead of Jesus. Now, here's the thing I want to be clear. Paul's not talking when he says you're, you're an enemy of the cross he's not again he's not talking about like one mishap one stumble like we all sin we all have our own struggles we all mess up in, in many different ways like he's not just talking about like oh you, you you know you messed up here and there like that's what he's talking about he's talking about a consistent lifestyle of choosing sin over Jesus so you're not like oh man I messed up this week I'm an enemy of the cross now my end is destruction my God is my belly. Like, That's not exactly what he's saying here, but, but this is why Paul is warning us, and this is why there's warning passages in scriptures, because we don't drift towards holiness. We drift away from holiness. We drift towards our sin, towards our own selfish desires, and away from Jesus. So we've got to be careful. We've got to pay attention. And I've read this passage several times. I'll probably read it several more. And we read it, I think, even last week or a couple weeks ago. It's Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. It says, watch out, brothers and sisters, pay attention. Same words that Paul's using here. Pay attention, brothers and sisters, so that there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Now, pause for a second, because the author is writing to Christians, And we know throughout the entire letter of Hebrews that these are people that the author is very certain are believers. They have truly put their faith in Jesus. And yet, yet he's telling them, be careful. Be careful. Be careful that you don't have an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage each other daily while it is still called today so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. This is what sin does to us. It deceives us. Again, we become that crab in the water. We think we're good, but we're not. We're slowly being destroyed by our choices and by our sin. This is why we have to be careful. So, you know, you mess up a few times here and there is that you're now an enemy across? No. But if we don't get rid of those things, if we don't repent of those things and turn our heart fully to Jesus, if we don't turn over every bit of ourselves, even those tiny little slivers, those tiny little dark places that we're still holding on to, if we don't let go of those things, if we don't hand them over to Jesus, we could easily be led astray. We could become exactly who Paul is warning us about. Exactly what the author of Hebrews is warning us about. People who are hardened by sin's deception. We have to be careful how we live. The choices we make every day matter. They have lasting impact. They matter. So we can live as an enemy of the cross, or Paul gives us a second option here. We can live as those committed to the cross. So we don't have to live a life hardened by sin. We don't have to live in sin's deception. Paul gives us another way. We have another way to go, another choice to make, and that is living as committed to the cross. So he says in verse 17 that this lifestyle is one that that imitates him, right? It's similar to what he said in verse 15. Think like me. Be like me. Follow me as I follow Jesus. That's what Paul is talking about here. Follow his example, And then he gives more details on on what this life actually looks like and what it actually leads us to in these following verses. Look again at verses 20 and 21. He describes this lifestyle in this way. He says, our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly wait for a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. So let's kind of break this down, uh, look at these these four things that he describes here as what it looks like to live a life committed to the cross. What we have, what we gain in life and beyond when we live for Jesus. The first way he describes his lifestyle is that we are citizens of heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. I think he says something very similar all the way back in chapter one, verse 27, when he kicks off this big section, the bulk of his letter. He says, just one thing, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel. It's the same thing that he's saying here. Live as a citizen of heaven. And again, if you remember our background in Philippians, man, the citizenship of the Philippians was a big deal because they were citizens of Rome. Not every colony, not every city across the Roman Empire had that designation, but the Philippians did. I mean, they knew what that meant. That meant loyalty to Rome. That meant following the laws of Rome. That meant special privileges that you have as a citizen. Like, it was a big deal. And Paul's playing on those words here, saying, yeah, you, you're a citizen of Rome, but more importantly, you're a citizen of heaven. Your ultimate allegiance in life, your ultimate loyalty in life is not to Rome. It's not to Caesar. It's to Jesus. You live for Jesus. Jesus. If we're going to follow Jesus, we're going to live lives committed to the cross, following him. We live as citizens of heaven, meaning we follow Jesus and his word and his ways over everything else. Right? So that, that means when we, when we come to Scripture, because right? this is how he tells us to live. This is what he gives us to see, man, is my life looking like Jesus? Am I following Jesus? That's why do we spend so much time talking about the Bible, walking through the Bible, explaining the Bible, helping us understand the Bible, because this is how we live for Jesus. So when we come to these hard places that are a little uncomfortable, I'm like, man, I don't, really, I don't like that. I wish Jesus said it a different way. I wish Paul said something different. I wish he didn't have that. Like, Can we just ignore that? Can we just gloss over that? No. When we come to Scripture, these hard places where our opinion differs from the Word, we don't change the Word to fit our opinions, our culture, our lifestyle. No, we change our opinions to match the Bible. That's what it means to live as a citizen of heaven. We follow Jesus and His Word above everything else. This is the life that Paul is calling us to. This is what it looks like to live for Jesus. So we live as a citizen of heaven. Next, he reminds us of this glorious truth that we have a Savior, right? He says, He says, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul reminds us, as believers, we have a Savior in Jesus who is right now reigning in heaven over everything. Over every aspect of creation, over every aspect of our lives, Jesus is the reigning Savior and Sovereign Lord over it all. And he is coming back one day. He is coming back one day, and we eagerly anticipate and wait for him to do so. Now, what's interesting here is Paul's, again, he's playing on words, and he's playing on the Roman culture at this time because he refers to Jesus as Savior and Lord. And those are the two things that Romans would refer to Caesar as. He was their Lord and their Savior. He was their Lord and their Savior. He was the one that they gave full allegiance to, full devotion to. He was their ultimate authority. He was the one who provided peace and prosperity and comfort and security. He was their Lord and Savior. And what Paul is reminding us here in this passage is that when we live as enemies of the cross, when we live in this earthly mindset, we have to find saviors here. We have to find saviors here. We can, When we live with an earthly mindset, we have to rely on earthly saviors, which is why we put so much trust and hope in things like our job. Or our boss can easily become a savior in our lives. Man, If, we, I, just, if I just impress him enough, man, I'll get that promotion. And if I get that promotion, man, then I'm, then I'm set. That I'm good. We can put our, our faith, we can look to salvation in our money, in our possessions, our wealth, our status, our retirement nest egg, whatever it is that man we are putting our ultimate trust and allegiance to. If it's something here on this earth, I'm just telling you, and Paul's telling us right here, right now, that those make terrible saviors. People make terrible saviors. I mean, how often do we look for our spouse to be our savior, our kids to be our savior, our friends, our boss, whatever it is, and we put all of our hope and our trust in those people. Or again, the things of this world, which Paul has reminded, which Jesus reminds us over and over again, is wasting away. Does not last. And look, here's how we know that we're trusting in a savior of this world, even even if it's just a tiny bit. When those things are taken away, how do we respond? When our comfort, our sense of security is taken away. When our spouse doesn't respond or treat us in the way that we think we should be treated, how do we respond? When our kids are not acting like the perfect little children that they're supposed to be in the store but are kicking and screaming because you didn't buy that piece of candy for them. Mine are the only ones that do that? Okay, good to know. How do we respond? How do we respond? If you've had to walk through a job transition or losing your job or getting passed over for something that you thought you deserved at your workplace, how do you respond? When these people or these things that we put our trust and our hope in let us down, because they do and they will, how do we respond? That shows us how much, what degree and what level we're we're looking to that thing or that person to be our Savior. So Paul is reminding us here that, man, our Lord and Savior is not here. It's not in other people. It's not in Caesar. It's not in anything that this world has to offer. It's in Jesus. It's in Jesus. He's the one who saves us. He's the one who is now reigning over all things. And he is the one who is coming back one day to put an end to all evil and suffering and pain and, and, and death and all of that, right? All those things. Jesus is coming back. So we have a Savior in Jesus. And he He is our source of hope. He is our source of joy. He is our source of comfort and security and provision and our source of true and ultimate salvation. We have a Savior. Next, he reminds us that we are transformed into the likeness of Jesus. When we live lives committed to him, we are transformed by Jesus. And he's been saying this stuff over and over again, right? That Jesus changes us. He makes us throughout our lives look more and more like him. And he says here that specifically that we are transformed into his likeness. That word for likeness is very similar to the word Paul used back in verse 10, where he says that we are conformed to his death. It's, again, yet another reminder that throughout our lives, we are made to be more and more like Jesus. He's the one that transforms us. And ultimately, ultimately, when he comes back, we will be transformed even more like him, right? The resurrection was a picture of what's promised to us. And we've talked about this throughout our time in Philippians. And here's yet another reminder that when Jesus comes back, and he will lead us into the perfect eternity, new heavens, new earth, glorified body, perfected body, just like him, to be lived out for all of eternity with him, right? Complete perfection. It'll be awesome. That's where our glory is found. Our glory is found in Jesus and his promises and our eternity with him. Unlike the enemies of the cross where their glory is in their shame, our glory is in Jesus Christ. And then lastly, he reminds us that we trust in his power. Look at how he ends here. He says that we will be transformed into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. So Paul reminds us here of this glorious truth in Scripture that that everything that Jesus promises is accomplished by his power. It's his power that does all of this. And it's the same power that allows him right now to rule over everything. Everything. Just think about that for a second. Jesus, right now, is ruling over everything our lives, our kids' lives, th- this moment right here, the, our drive home, the way our lives play out, the way this entire world and universe is existing right now is being upheld by God's power, by Jesus' power. That's the power that Jesus has. That's the power that Paul is reminding us here. It's his power that allows us to live for him. It's his power that saves us, that provides for us, that transforms us in this life. And it's by his power that Jesus is going to accomplish everything that he promises. Everything that has yet to happen that scripture talks about will be accomplished by Jesus' power. It is by His power that he will fully and finally defeat all sin and death and evil and Satan. It's by his power that he gives us our final resurrection and glorified bodies. It's the power of Jesus that is our guarantee that he delivers on all of his promises. It is by his power, and we can trust in that power. We can trust in that power. And look at that power, the Jesus' power, that's allowing him to reign over every single aspect and minute detail of this entire universe. That power is available for us and to us each and every moment of our lives. And we've been seeing this and talking about that. We can trust and live relying on Jesus' power or we can trust and rely on our own power. We can trust and rely on our own power. See, Jesus doesn't want us to do that. He wants us to rely on him, to trust in him, to trust in and rely on and rest upon his power. Because Jesus is greater and more powerful than, than anything else this world has to offer. Again, he's upholding the entire universe by the power of his word. That's how powerful Jesus is he's the one who promises again Jesus delivers on his promise through his power he promises to provide for us he promises to care for us he promises to lead us and guide us in this life and yet here's the thing church we live our lives content to trust in our own power rather than in Jesus's we are constantly living relying on ourselves on our own strength on our own ability rather than Jesus. And where does that get us? It gets us stressed out and full of anxiety, right? We think we can handle things, but we can't. I mean, just think about all the little things. When, when life doesn't go the way that we planned, how do we respond? Right? Oh, there's traffic, there's an accident on the way to work, and you're gonna be a few minutes late. Do we go? Oh, praise the Lord for that. Yay, Jesus, thank you for this. More time to reflect on and pray and worship you for a little bit more in the car. No! We don't respond that way. Oh, there's traffic on the way home. You're going to be late for dinner or whatever it is. Your kids, ball. I don't know. Oh, blessings upon blessings. No, we don't respond that way. (laughs) When things go not according to our plan, what do we tend to do? We tend to lose our minds. We tend to get stressed out over the smallest little bump in the road. I just to let you inside a little bit of my heart. So I told you guys we, we went out of town for a couple of days to Ella And I've gotten I've, I've gotten a little better, y'all. Okay, I'm I'm trying to grow in this area, but typically, man, I hate the travel process. Hate it hate every, I love, you know, getting to the vacation and having vacation, I hate getting there and coming home, it's the worst, I hate it, it almost makes me never want to do it, I don't like it, it's stressful for me to pack up and load up and deal with, like, being again, like, if we don't leave at this time, then we're going to get here at this time, and then, you know, are we got to make it here before lunch, or this time, because the kids are going to be losing their minds, because they're hungry, and they're tired, or whatever, like, we're on a schedule here, we're on a, we're gonna date, we got to make it, so I just get, like, just wound up with a bunch of stressing, and again, I'm about to go on vacation, like, what is wrong with me? y'all. What, what problem do I have that, that this nice little break from life is causing me to get so stressed out? Again, I've grown in that. I've gotten a little better in that. Y'all can pray for me to continue to grow in that. But, but again, just the slightest little thing causes so much stress and anxiety in our lives. And yet, here's, here's how we go like, you know what? I got this, God. Don't need your help, Jesus. Don't need your power. I got this. Y'all, no, we don't. We don't got this. So we can either trust and live in Jesus's and rely on Jesus's power or we can keep relying on our own and lose our minds every time something goes wrong. That's not how Jesus wants us to live. Now look, here's the thing that I've noticed. Like, we, we tend to, at least I tend, like, it, it's almost easier to trust in Jesus' power for, the, like, the really big things in life, the big decisions or the big hiccups or the big things, like, you know, maybe you get sick or a family member, bad times or, you know, bad things happen in your marriage is wrong. Like, sometimes it's easier to trust in Jesus for the big things, and we're like, I'll take care of the little stuff. And still, those little things cause us to lose our minds, but here's the glorious thing in Scripture. We're going to see this clearly in a few verses in chapter four. Jesus wants it all. He wants us to trust in him for every little tiny single aspect of our lives to trust in his power in every little minute detail of our lives. Jesus wants it all, not just the big stuff. He wants it all. He wants to free us from this life of stress and worry and fear over every little thing that goes wrong. That's what Paul is reminding us here. When we live lives committed to Jesus, we can trust and rely and rest on his power. This is the life that Paul is inviting us to, a life committed to Jesus. And look, he knows it's not easy. He knows there's going to be ups and downs. He knows there's going to be struggles. He knows there's so many things in this world that can tempt us and lead us astray from this lifestyle. And that's why he ends this section with chapter 4, verse 1, where he says, So then, my dearly loved and longed-for brothers and sisters, my joy and crown. I mean, you can just listen to him. Like, like he loves these people. He deeply cares about the Philippians. He says this, In this manner stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. that stand firm. That's that's another command. We've seen this before. We've seen this throughout our time in Philippians. Paul wants us to stand firm in Jesus. And how do we do that? As he says here, in this manner, in this way, doing the things that he's laid out for us here in Philippians. Trusting in Jesus, walking with Jesus, following Jesus, living for Jesus in this way allows us to stand firm and trust in Jesus no matter what comes, no matter what comes. Stand firm in the Lord. So again, at the end of of chapter three here, as Paul kind of concludes the bulk and the meat of his letter here, he, he offers us a choice. Which way will we go? Which way will we go? Which way will we live? We live as committed to the cross or as enemies of the cross? Will we live following our own way, our own desires? Will we chase after our own sins? Will we set our minds on earthly things? Or will we live for Jesus? Will we commit everything, every aspect of our lives to him? I'm going to end with this. There's a moment in Jesus' ministry where he presents this same choice to somebody. It's found throughout the different gospels, but I'm going to read Luke's version. It says this in Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 18. It says, a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's a great question. Verse 19, why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your mother and father. Verse 20: I have kept all of these from my youth, he said. Let's pause there. Like, that's a crazy statement. He's kept all the commands from his youth, even honoring his mother and father. Like, my kids can't go two minutes without doing that, right? Like, he's done all of that. And, and you know, that, that may be hyperbolic language here, but, but Jesus doesn't call him out on that. He just knows everything. He didn't be like, ah, you know what? Actually, no, no, that's not true. You're a liar, no, he, he he lets us play out. Like, so clearly the picture that we're given of this young ruler is that, I mean, he has lived a righteous life. I mean, based on, again, we're supposed to judge the fruit, like based on the fruit of what he's doing and how he's living, we would probably say, do that. That guy's, he's a solid person right there. He is a righteous man. He's good. He's good with the Lord. He's, he's like, he. if anybody's gonna turn in her eternal life, like it's that dude, and based on the way that he's living. And yet, jesus knows he's holding back he says this in verse 22 when jesus heard this he told him you still lack one thing sell all you have and distribute it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven then come follow me after he heard this he became extremely sad because he was very rich in other versions throughout the gospels it says that he walked away at that moment this guy had a choice he could have jesus where he could have his treasure. And he chose his treasure. Now, look, before we judge this guy too harshly, because again, it's easy for us to sit here and play, you know, Monday morning quarterback, or like, oh, you should have. You know, bad choice, bro. You messed up there. Like, really? You're gonna trade your, you're not gonna give away yourself. Like, this is Jesus we're talking about. Jesus! And you walk away from Jesus? But man, how often do we do the same thing? Do we choose our sin, our desires, whatever we're longing for in that moment? How often do we say yes to that instead of Jesus? This guy had a lot of wealth, a lot of possessions. And when Jesus touched on that idol and said, let that go. And hey, by the way, when you let that go, I'm going to give you treasure in heaven, riches beyond your imagination, greater than anything you can accumulate here. The guy just couldn't do it. Couldn't let go. This is a lesson for us today. Let's not be like the ruler. We have a choice to make just like him, just like the Philippians, just like Paul. We can choose Jesus, walk with him, give him everything. Or we can hold on to these idols in our lives, whatever they may be. Again, let's let's ask ourselves the hard questions as we go about the rest of our day and our week are we living life committed to jesus are we living life as an enemy of jesus are we giving jesus everything are we holding back are we holding on to something let me pray for us look as we pray we're going to step into this time of worship like we do every single week It's a time of communion. It's a time for reflection for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus. It's a time for us to just sit and reflect and remember. And I would encourage you to take time today and examine your heart and your life and and see, man, where am I walking in line with Jesus? Where am I maybe holding back? What is that one thing that if Jesus said, hey, it's got to be me or this thing, what's going to cause us to think twice? What's going to cause us to go, you know what? I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to pick. That's that's the thing we gotta let go of whatever that part of our heart so pray ask the Holy Spirit to reveal those areas those aspects of our heart and our lives those dark corners that we don't want to talk about that we don't want to deal with let them bring those up let them go and choose Jesus walk with Jesus so as you take time to reflect and pray and worship as you are prepared. Believe we're in the room, we go to the tables, we take the bread and the cup, we eat and drink, and remember our Savior, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us, Lord. We thank you for this day. We thank you for your goodness and your grace and your love in our lives, Lord. We thank you for giving us an alternative, that we don't have to stay in our sins. We don't have to live in our sins, Lord. We don't have to find our ultimate end in destruction. We can have life in you we can have forgiveness and peace and joy and satisfaction and all these things that we we try to find here lord we, we find that in you thank you for that lord you are such a good god to us so we thank you for your goodness we thank you for your grace We thank you for your love for us lord would we live for you would we choose each and every moment each and every day to follow you to say no to the things of this world and yes to you, Jesus. We love you. We ask you to strengthen us, resolve us, Lord, help us stand firm in you. We ask all this in your powerful name. Amen.